Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at the Hamilton East Library here in Fishers. Uh, I'm in the Ignite space, the AV room. Uh, Just want to remind everybody there's a lot of construction going on here, but the Fishers Library here is open. The Hamilton East Library would recommend you visit the Ignite space and find out all they have to offer here once you visit the library during the regular hours. It's my honor and privilege to have Yulia Tolstikov-Mast. She is a Russian-Ukrainian-American, a resident of Fishers who spent uh, time in Poland helping Ukrainian refugees. And I, when I found out about you, I absolutely jumped at the chance to have the opportunity to speak with you and have a, a chance to hear your story. So, Yulia, thank you very much for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you, Larry. It's my pleasure. Um, I want to start off with this, kind of give people an understanding about your personal connections mm-hmm. with both Poland and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, um I'm originally from Russia, and uh, um, I was born and grew up in Rostov-na-Donu. It's a southern city, um, the largest, actually, city in the south of Russia. That it's about um, 60 miles from the border with Ukraine. So I, my grandparents are from Ukraine, from Odessa. Um, I travel to uh, Ukraine uh, very often. Uh, Kiev, Kharkiv, uh, Lviv, Odessa, I know all those cities, and uh, um, I speak some Ukrainian, very basic, and it um, came from my grandparents who sometimes spoke spoke Ukrainian, and I overheard them talking, and um, um, at the same time, because of our proximity to Ukraine, in my city we had uh, we had access to radio in Ukrainian. So sometimes that was on. So again, I was just picking up some Ukrainian. And by the way, uh, yes, my grandparents were from Ukraine on my mother's side, but they moved to, um, after the Second World War, my grandfather was in the military, in Air Force, and he was just stationed in a a uh, different city in uh, Soviet Union at that time that ended up to be in Russia. So uh, that's how they moved from Ukraine to Russia. And there's a lot. There are so many personal complications that come in between Russia and Ukraine. I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. but I want to start with something else because uh, volunteerism. And this is a volunteer activity for me, the uh, podcast and my my news blog. But I think volunteerism is an important aspect of what I try to do in my mm-hmm. retirement. It obviously is for you. Uh, So even with the personal ties you and and your husband have with Poland, Ukraine, Russia, uh, you did not have to go to Poland to uh, assist the refugees who are going to Poland from, Mm -hmm. and they're in the millions, as I understand it, a large number of people. So before I get into some of the detail, what motivated the two of you to go to Poland and, and help out? 
uh, several things, and I will probably start commenting on my connection to Poland that um, you know I, I did mention yet. Um, I am a, a professor of uh, ethical and creative leadership. And I'm a researcher, um, global leadership researcher, so I have a lot of connections in the world. Um, and I have uh, two connections in Warsaw, in Poland. Uh, and as the war started, I, uh, I was looking at what are those ladies doing? What are they posting on LinkedIn and other social media sites? Um, and from just those interactions, I learned that um, uh Polish people go to work during the day, volunteer after work, or stay even volunteering through the night. So everything was on on uh, shoulders of uh, um, Polish citizens because there are so many refugees going through the border. Uh, it's definitely an unprecedented uh, uh, situation in the world. So that was uh, one moment um, when I thought, you know, I uh, I work online. My my teaching is in virtual space. So if Polish people can go to work during the day, volunteer in the evening after work, I can do the same. I can work during the day in Poland and volunteer as, as they do because, again, I work uh, in the virtual space. So that was one uh, motivator. And the second is uh, very personal and very, um, very important for me. And it uh, touches on the subject of my relationships with my relatives in Russia. Um, it's uh, definitely complete denial. And it's almost impossible for me right now to uh, to interact with anyone. Only my cousin is the one that I keep keep in touch. Uh, the rest, um, you know, I try to communicate what's going on, try to break through propaganda, but it's really almost impossible. So I, my motivation was uh, to go and represent people in Russia who are silent. It's, um, it's just me by myself, right? But that's what I thought. You know, if, it's, if one Russian is there helping Ukrainians, that's that's what I can do. And my husband, uh, he's he's an American. He's from Fort Wayne, mm. Indiana, and uh, we uh, he was uh, actually he was the first one who said we need to go. And yes, and after this, I found ways and opportunities. And yeah. And your husband is still there. We can he, talk more yes, about that later. Yes. I, there's, you know, I've, I've read as much as I can. There's some very good journalists doing some very good work in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And there was one story very early in this war that struck me a great deal. And I'm going to just briefly mm -hmm. give it to you and, and to those listening. I want your reaction to it. It has to do with the, the, the interconnection that's been happening for decades between Ukrainian and Russian peoples. There was a group of, of Russian soldiers. They basically surrendered themselves in a Ukrainian village. Women in the village brought those Russian soldiers into their homes, made them dinner, and gave them telephones and told them to call their mothers in Russia. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one part that you've touched on already is that their mothers did not even know that they were in Ukraine or there were any Russian soldiers in Ukraine at that point early mm -hmm. on. But I, what I struck me about that story is just how personal connections have an impact on this. 
and 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 there's been intermarriage. I mean, it, between Ukrainians and Russians for years. I saw one statistic that in the city of Kiev, twenty percent of the population consider themselves to be Russian. Mm-hmm. But this war has had a major impact as it's begun to, to drag on. So I would like for you to comment to the extent that you are familiar with this about these personal connections, the mm-hmm. intermarriage, the personal connections between Russians and Ukrainians and how that's complicating all this. Um, could I give you an, an analogy, and our listeners, an analogy that could be helpful? Imagine Indiana and Ohio speaking the same language, um, having similar histories, um, uh, values, uh, and so forth. And, um, you know, the, imagine that they used to be part of one country, but separated after we had collapse of Soviet Union, so Russia became independent country, Ukraine independent country. So, but let's go to, uh, let's go back to Indiana and Ohio. So let's say Indiana says, well, Ohio, uh, one of the territories you have is our territory, and we had it long time ago, we want it back. And Ohio goes, well, you know, we can talk about it. And Indiana doesn't want to talk. Indiana wants to take that land. So Indiana invades Ohio. In uh, all this brutality that's taking place in Ukraine right now, let's imagine it's taking place in Ohio. And uh, both, uh, and of course, people in Ohio are in shock. What is going on? They speak the same language. They, you know, it's, it's that analogy that helpful for me. Uh, just to, you know, kind of put it all in context of uh, in the United States to help people bridge those connections. But to your your question, um, well, I was, you know, again, I'm I was born in Russia. Yes, I'm Russian Ukrainian, uh, but I was born in Russia, right? So uh, when I traveled to Poland, uh, I traveled through uh, Switzerland. I was in Switzerland for a few days, and I was at the park, and I heard two Ukrainian women talking. Talk, and I understood they're refugees. They're talking about uh, what happened to them. And I thought, I, I want to hug them. I want to show s- sympathy. But I'm an aggressor. Right in their eyes, mm-hmm. uh, so how, I mean, it was a very, very difficult uh, situation for me just to show that connection and support, but not overwhelm them. Um, and I introduced myself. I told them that I'm a U.S. citizen, and I moved to uh, to the United States uh, 26 years ago. I told them my my background, and they hugged me. Uh-huh. And I cried. And I was like, why am I crying? You're supposed to cry. (laughs) Why am I I crying? Uh, But I told them how appalled I am and uh, uh, that I'm going to Poland and I'm, you know, trying my best. And they, they thanked me. They thanked me. They thanked me for being Russian. And not just American, for being a a former Russian citizen and wanting to do that. So the the shock in Ukraine that what's happening between those two nations is unprecedented. They are in shock. They cannot believe that's that's what's happening. And the biggest tragedy out of it that 
um, you know, Russians with Ukrainian heritage who are in Russia are silent. Mm-hmm. And when I was just just one little maybe Please, quick yes. thing, yeah. And when I was in uh, in Poland, um, I mean, at fr- some people did recommend me, especially when I worked with refugees from Bucha in Mariupol, uh, not maybe to tell them that I'm from Russia. Not it. It, it was more about um, stress and, and pressure on them than, than, um, you know, for, for me, but, um, they recognize, you know, I introduced myself as an American, but they recognize my accent. I speak fluently. I speak mm-hmm. Russian fluently. And I, and I, the way I speak Russian is different how Ukrainians speak Russian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone recognized that I'm from Russia. Um, and everyone wanted to hug me and tell me their stories. My goodness. Well, let me talk about Poland for a moment since yes. you spent some time there. And again, I'm, I'm depending on news reports, and I want your perspective. Mm-hmm. And the questions come from what I have had a chance as an American to read about this. But the Poland has taken in these Ukrainian refugees, you know, with no promise of international or American help, at least at first. Uh, and, you know, my understanding, America, American aid's coming if the Congress acts. We certainly hope that happens. International is a little slower, but we think it will come. But Poland took these people in, hundreds of thousands and now into the millions, with no guarantee. And you know, Poland's not a rich country. They're okay, but and they're not, not a big rich. Country. And not a big country yeah. uh, either. Uh, showing amazing hospitality to these Ukrainian refugees, absorbing, absorbing them in such large numbers. Explain why this happened. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's, I think it's because histories are so connected between, it's, Ukraine is uh, as much Russian as as it's Polish. Um, From, gosh, going deep into histories, um, you know, there were invasions centuries ago, and there were resettlings, and there were trades, and yeah, so a lot of, uh, well, in uh, Ukrainian language is closer to Polish than it's to Russian. So that's what, uh, again, I'm learning since I'm now learning Polish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I can understand that connection and also observing how Ukrainian and Polish people interacted just on their individual languages, but still understanding each other uh, pretty well. So, but you're right. Some, uh, I mean, right now, um, there are about 4 million people, Ukrainian refugees who crossed the border with Poland. Some of them do stay in Poland. Some of them, it's hard to keep track of all this data, of course, right? Uh, 50, 60% are children. Most are women, elderly. That's, yeah. Um, And um, uh, there was one day, I mean, several, not one day, several days when uh, over 100,000 people crossed the border in one day. And uh, I I believe the uh, highest number is 156,000. I mean, just the medical care, just feeding them is an amazing feat on the part of the Polish people. And it really is the Polish people, the nonprofits, NGOs. Yeah, and not only NGOs, just – And it's uh, non-government organizations for those who don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also, uh, you know, waking up and going. (coughs) Excuse me. I talked to a few – uh, a few of my co- colleagues in, in Poland and people, uh, volunteers, Polish volunteers I met, 
And from the first day when the war started, uh, they got uh, food and blankets and whatever they could. There were no shelters still on the border, and they drove. They drove and set up themselves, and they were they they were uh, welcoming. Um, I also think um, you know it's it's that unprecedented aggression from Russia from Putin that. Uh, Polish people are afraid of. So they are they are there to support Ukraine because they hope if something happens the world will support Poland. So when you saw these refugees coming across the border and you were dealing with them, what trauma did you see? I hate to ask this question, but it's, the world needs to know. Yeah. Um I'll just give you a few examples. Um, so I was, m- most of the time I was in Warsaw, it's a capital of, of Poland. Um, and uh, so you, refugees cross the border, uh, they are on buses or trains transported to uh, larger cities. And from larger cities, uh, they can be dispersed to smaller villages or towns. Um, so I was in Warsaw most of the time. And... Um, uh, Yes, I've, I've, I've heard stories, and again, people just, you don't ask them, they just tell you. They want to they, they wanna share, they want the world to know. Uh, there is a little boy, well, uh, uh, teenager actually, uh, 13, uh, who, was, um, who told me a story about this interconnection, Russian-Ukrainian interconnection. His mom is Ukrainian, his dad is uh, uh, Russian. They're divorced, dad is in Russia, and when his area, this boy's area, uh, was bombed, he called his dad. And he said, Dad, this is what's going on. Can you hear on the background? Um, and dad said, you're lying to me. It's mm-hmm. uh, fake news. Mm-hmm. And there were other exchanges of words. And after this, the boy said, I don't ever want to see you in my life. Mm. That's, that's tragic. That's yeah. what the boy is telling me. That's mm-hmm. not his... Mom, it's the boy wants to wants me to know, right? He's that's definitely trauma he will carry for for many years. Uh, the um, cook from actually she was um, very successful chef in Mariupol, and I met her and her daughter when I worked at the World Central Kitchen, uh, six hour shift, and she talked to me for six hours. Oh my she God. was she wanted to volunteer and help other Ukrainians, and she wanted to be with me to thank me for uh, for volunteering. And nobody asked her. She just that was what she wanted. She just wanted to be there to help others, and she was telling me stories of. Uh, uh, walking uh, among dead bodies and telling her 15-year-old daughter, "Don't walk, don't look down, mm. look up." They were trying to find food, cell phone coverage. So, and uh, with that, she's she she wanted to help as well, right? So it's and it took her about. Uh, that's another uh, overwhelming trauma of Ukrainians. Uh, it took uh, it takes them a long time to. Um, move through Ukraine if they want to leave Ukraine because of Russian checkpoints. And from from Mariupol to um, uh, Warsaw is about 1,000 miles, and it took them 10 days. Hmm. And uh, I was told they were stopped a lot, searched every time. Um, uh, 
put down, and it, at some point, uh, the the this lady from Mariupol lost lost her temper, and she started speaking back, and her daughter became hysterical. Mm. She was afraid for her mom. Uh, so, uh, right now they are in um, Greece. Mm. So it's uh, there was a when they were in Warsaw, a couple uh, from Switzerland sponsored them, helped them to buy tickets to fly to to Greece to to be in a safe area. And uh, my husband and I gave them money to travel. Uh, and I talked to them recently. So they're still, it has been a few weeks ago, they, they're still pretty traumatized, but they're coloring, uh, sleeping a little more, and as not as um, they're not as nervous as they were when I met, met them in Mariupol. Uh, I saw a quote just the other day from the United States ambassador to Poland. His name was Mark Brzezinski. Mm -hmm. His father uh, was uh, a foreign policy advisor to President Jimmy Carter. His yes. sister is a talk show yeah. host in America. I listen to Morning Joe. <laughs> That's right. He's on Morning, if you see Morning Joe, uh, yeah. Joe and, and Mika yeah, are the hosts Mika. of that. Mika Brzezinski is the daughter also mm -hmm. of, of Zbigniew Brzezinski. He's passed away several years ago. But he said something the other day as he was being touring and, and looking and, and dealing with, with the folks coming across mm -hmm. the border. And he said, and this is a quote, this is for Poland – 1939 again. And for those who don't know the meaning of that year, that was the year the Nazis invaded Poland and really started World War II at yeah. that point. Um, did you hear that when you were in Poland? Did people remember that? Is that one reason these Polish people felt so uh, – felt the fealty with these Ukrainians and what they're going through? I think the – gosh, it has been only two generations after the Second World War. It's not that far. Um, I mean, you still have people who are alive who fought during the Second World War. So I, I certainly, I'm, I'm sure that's that's one of the reasons that, you know, all those days are still discussed at school. Uh, all this history is alive, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't heard anyone mentioning it. Um, you know, and uh, frankly, all our conversations and efforts were just, especially conversations, um, uh, what needs to be purchased, where it needs to be delivered, what food needs to be made, and, you There's know. There's too much to do now just to think a, about that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think reflections will come, mm -hmm. but with the overwhelming number of people crossing the border who need immediate help, that's the priority. What strikes me about all this, and I'd like your view mm -hmm. on it, because I, I'm a, I study political science in college, I've studied some history. And, you know, at the end of World War II, there was this view that, you know, okay, never again in Europe. Yeah. And on top of that, if you study history, no people suffered more in World War II than the Russian people. Uh, and, I, and I just wonder, um, do people living in Poland in that area of the world think about that or are they still just worried about – what's in front of them. But I, it's something I think about, and I wonder if they I do, do too. I, I think they do. Yeah. I, I mean, it's. I think the world, that part of the world is in disbelief. Also in disbelief that um, the Z sign 
in Russia? Mm-hmm. What is, where did it come from? It's not even Cyrillic language. It's Latin. Why are we using Latin in a country where alphabet came from Bulgaria? We never even were a Latin-speaking country. Latin, yeah. It's we, uh, at school, I mean, in colleges, um, people learn, depending on, on subjects, a Slavic language, mm-hmm. just as a pro-language. Latin doesn't cross anyone's mind. So and suddenly we have Z, and uh, right now Russia is, you know, practicing for the Victory Day parade. There will be May 9th celebration of the end of the Second World War. And we are recording this on May 5th, just so you know. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and and frankly, I'm uh, that's I wake up every day thinking about it. What will happen? What will what will Putin do? I have ha- had more than one foreign policy expert familiar with with Russia saying that that is a key date. What will happen on May the ninth? He is so fixated on it, and there are no comments from him. And it's even scarier because he's in isolation. Something is brooding. Mm-hmm. Something is. He's thinking, and yeah, the world is kind of, you know, leaning forward and and taking breath away from everything and just, yeah, praying. I want to talk about this side of it because I think this is important, and it's more on the positive side. I understand uh, you and your husband, of course, have been there, but even your son has raised money. Talk about that. (laughs) Well, um, my initial, I mean, I never planned to raise money. Um, my, my, my initial reaction was, again, me going there as, as, uh, as Russian, um, helping and representing people in Russia who are silent. Um, and suddenly I'm, you know, I'm talking to our neighbors and other people and they're like, why aren't you raising funds? And they go, I, I'm supporting myself. I don't need funds for me. Uh, so in, there are all these big organizations that already, you know, people are donating to them. Um, but I, I talk, my, my daughter graduated from cathedral, and my son right now is a freshman at cathedral. And um, um, I reach out to cathedral. I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of encouraged to start raising. What do you think? And they go, oh, my gosh, please do. There are so many people who don't want to donate to large organizations. They want to see impact at local individual levels. They want to see pictures of how they help, where they help. And cathedral was, yeah, they, they started raising. Um, and uh, they stopped before spring break. But there was still some money trickled even during spring break, and they gave me recently a check for another amount that I already applied uh, in in Poland. So, yeah, so that was first. And second, uh, Hoosier started asking me, my my co-workers, um, people at church, so I did GoFundMe. Uh, That's still pretty active. How do you find the GoFundMe, by the way? uh, My GoFundMe? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's okay. Well, i tell you what I'll do. We'll uh, put that in the show notes, and I'll get a link to yes. that, and we'll uh, make sure people know. But that really brings me to the next question I had, uh, because you, you've touched on this, but just in general, you talked about what yeah. happened at Cathedral, and that's a great story. But let's say you're listening to this podcast, and you're thinking, you know, I really do care about what's mm-hmm. happening in that part of the world. How can I 
help. I won't be able to travel there. Mm -hmm. How can I help? What would your answer be to that person? World Central Kitchen. Amazing. Just because I worked um, uh, shifts uh, at this kitchen, plus um, I saw what what takes place at at other areas where um, this kitchen operates. So food is nutritional, fresh, everything is healthy, uh, local restaurants are contracted, uh, it's not just, you know, volunteers doing something. It's all supervised uh, health condition, every restriction you would expect uh, from, uh, you know, f- uh, in terms of food being safe and uh, fresh. Uh, yeah, health regulations are all, uh, of course, excellent. So I would strongly recommend. What's the name of the group again? It's World Central Kitchen. World Central Kitchen, and yes. you can you can Google that. And you find can it. Google, donate. Yeah. It operates in uh, Ukraine. It operates in Poland. So yes, there are stories you can Google and see pictures and stories of uh, um, people in Ukraine, cooks in Ukraine, uh, who are you know uh, relocating their uh, kitchens just because there was bombing going on, but they also coming back and continuing cooking. So it's uh, what they're doing is incredible, noble, and meets all the health and safety standards. I've seen so many stories of uh, people who have gone to Poland and areas of Ukraine to provide food, and uh, they tell the stories of once they're up and running, they have their volunteers, the Ukrainian refugees, insist on helping if they have any background yes. in food service. They absolutely demand it. It's incredible. Yeah. They they volunteer everywhere. I was at Torver Large Refugee Center and just helping sort uh, clothing, and I bought pajamas uh, for the center. Um, so they were, uh, the capacity is about 5,000 people. So probably that's how many were at, at uh, certain times. Um what I was overwhelmed with, so I registered as a volunteer, uh, I go through all the checks and points, they take me to where I need to volunteer, and around me are only Ukrainians who volunteer. So I'm asking them, what's going on? And they're like, well, I mean, what are we, you know, we cannot just sit still. And that's the nation, that's the entire, they're unusual maybe in our standards, refugees, because they're incredibly active. They're citizens of a democratic country. Mm-hmm. They had, uh, you know, even looking at their clothing, they're like us uh, in terms of what they wear, how they interact, and they don't want to just sit, do nothing. They, they want to be active. They want to uh, help right away to their neighbors and friends who, were, who are also refugees and help other people. They form little groups, uh, even at refugee centers, based on their, you know, local locations, and they all support each other. It's, it's uh, of course, it's very incredible. Um, and uh, many people told me, um, oh, a, a few times I was trying to buy shoes, uh, tennis shoes to um, um, there were a few gentlemen and they were just in, almost in flip flops. That's the only thing they had, and those flip flops were falling apart. I offered them to buy shoes, and they refused. They said, "We will make, we will find jobs, we'll make money, we'll buy shoes." My goodness! Right and after the what they have been through. After what they went oh, through. Amazing. Amazing. I uh, 
did my best to ask some questions here, but yeah. uh, there's really no. I mean, and we could talk for hours. Yes. I know, if, and I have every time I hear you speak, I've got 20 more questions to ask you. But I, I want to respect everybody's time, including yours. But I want to give you one more opportunity. Mm-hmm. What do you want people to know listening to this podcast? What do you want them to know about your experience there? Um, there are two organizations that I would. Uh, very strongly encourage everyone to look into. And uh, one is not not for profit NGO. It's uh, Indiana Support Ukraine. You can Google it, you can find it easily. Um, So this is a very, very active organization that is trying to uh, send supplies directly to Ukraine. So they're not connected with Poland as much as uh, they're connected uh, with Ukraine. And my husband, uh, when he went to uh, Poland uh, last week, uh, last Thursday, uh, he uh, took three large bags with uh, uh, body armors, um, elbow pads for soldiers, uh, military boots. It's, you know, all those things are in, in huge demand, and there are contacts in Ukraine who help distribute that. Um, so Indiana Support Ukraine has a Amazon link with everything they need in terms of food and uh, uh, clothing for children, you know, anything that's needed. So they have it all organized. So if you're able to donate, it would be uh, amazing. And there is uh, on Facebook, uh, North America for Ukraine. And this is an amazing um, grassroots organization started by an amazing um, woman uh, named Gina in Texas. Uh, And this is to help connect sponsors in the United States and Canada with uh, Ukrainian refugees. Because again, uh, if our listeners are aware, about 100,000 refugees uh, would be accepted in the U.S. But it's not just them coming to the U.S. They need sponsors in terms of, um, you know, helping them with relocation and so forth. But moreover, um, it's not just individuals who would be sponsored. There are um, other initiatives that called community circles. So if someone decides to sponsor, um, this organization would, would also help um, facilitate circles of community in local places where refugees will be hosted, that if they need dental service uh, and things like that, it's all pro bono. And it's amazing how how many needs there are. One, yes. Just for, you know, if you're listening on one of the many platforms where you can get my podcast, go to LarryInFishers.com. The show notes for this podcast. Well, I'm going to put all the links to all of uh, what uh, Yulia has mentioned here so you can have quick uh, access to all the different organizations working so hard to help the people who are uh, refugees from Ukraine. Yulia, we could talk a long time, but I do want to very much appreciate your willingness to talk about some tough subjects and tough things you saw in Poland dealing with these refugees. And thank you very much for your volunteer work to you and your husband and and your son's fundraising. Thanks thanks to all of you. And thank you very much for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Be kind.